Welcome to Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up with courage and faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who faced trials head on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. Wonderful to have everybody join us again today on Arise Esther. Today, my guest embraces the ultimate contradiction of being an organized creative. Now that is a contradiction for sure. She's a faith-filled woman with ink-stained fingers observing life through the lens of her camera. She's a writer who feels lost without her camera and a reluctant speaker, but she loves to encourage her audience. As an author, she knows the necessity of soul care, and she leads workshops around the country, and she teaches on staying connected to God. Her numerous books, including the award-winning Soul Care series, and unruffled, thriving in chaos. They reflect her passion to help others develop this strength of their God-given gifts and apply them to their lives. She also has a blog. She writes The Right Conversation, and it's recognized as one of the top 100 industry resources. So would you welcome with me today my guest, Edie Melson. Hi, Edie. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I've looked forward to us connecting because I think this is a very timely conversation that we're going to have today because, wow, if ever there was a time where people need to know about soul care when they're grieving, we are almost a nation of post-traumatic stress people. We've experienced so much trauma and so much loss that we need some help and knowing how to take care of ourselves during grieving. So let's talk about that today. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, something maybe I didn't mention in the intro. I am the director of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference, which is one of the big writing conferences every year. We have it over the Memorial Weekend. Um, It lasts five days. I also am a master craftsman at lace making. Oh, is that right? <laughs> that is. How do you make lace? That's amazing. I, I do it with a tatting shuttle. I actually do tatting. So. Okay. Oh, wow. That sounds like a show all in and of itself. We'll have to have you on. Something most people don't know about me. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that about you either. So that's awesome. So thank you for being with us today and talking about this subject. I just am curious, you know, as we talk about grief, grief, well, it can look different on different people. Isn't that right? It definitely can. And for a long time, I thought I was doing it wrong. Years ago, when my dad had Alzheimer's and passed away, I had a well-meaning friend after he had gone tell me that I was grieving wrong and uh, accused me of, of stuffing my grief and trying to be something I wasn't. But the truth was, I was just grieving in a way that was natural to me as an introvert. 
I wasn't trying to hide anything. It's just that I grieve very privately. And uh, some people grieve very publicly. And there's no right or wrong way, but God designed each of us differently. And so I spent a lot of time feeling like I was doing something wrong. And so um, that really kind of derailed the whole grief process for me. Well, absolutely. So not only are you grieving, but now you have shame to deal with as well. So because who gets to decide how we grieve? We grieve according to the way we're wired. Is that what I'm hearing? As an introvert, you grieve privately, perhaps maybe extroverts grieve differently and, and more outwardly. So I'm hearing you say, but how about you? Do you grieve the same way every time you go through a situation? Does it always look like that on you? It doesn't. It's, it's oh. very interesting. My best friend and her daughter were murdered back in 2001. And that oh. process looked very different than when I grieved when my dad died. And when I grieved when my precious daughter-in-law passed away last year. So all three times, the grief definitely looked different, differently, but it was all mainly internal was the way I process grief. Okay. Wow. But by the way, I'm just so sorry for all of the loss that you've experienced. That's a lot of loss. And isn't it true that grief can look different in terms of like, we don't always think that anger is a part of grief, but that can be a piece of grief, isn't it? It is. There are basically five different stages of grief. Some places say there are four, some say five, but it has to do with denial and anger and uh, then finally going into acceptance. And those stages of grief, the first time I was grieving, I thought I would go through each one and it would last a certain time and then I'd be done and get to move on to the next step. And that's not the way it works. Sometimes you skip one. Sometimes you come back to one more than once. And sometimes it lasts a very long time. Um, My stage of anger for my best friend's murder lasted for several years because Mm -hmm. I was so angry that her life had been taken from her. Um, So I think it just depends. It also depends on where you are in life. I was pretty young back then. I was a young mom and that was the really the first big grief experience I had had. And so it was um, coming into this season of grief with losing our daughter-in-law. I, I had a little more experience with grief. Mm, So you recognized it and you felt like you understood I'm in grief. I'm, I'm feeling some emotions or I'm, you know, you said denial is a part of grief and that's kind of a stage where we don't recognize the impact that it, that this trauma has had on us. And so we stay busy perhaps, or we we even want to deny, we even live in a a little place where it's like, oh, it didn't really happen. I've blocked it out. I'm living, I'm not connected to it. And so grief is just, it's this big, huge thing that we try to understand. But what I've learned about grief for some of the traumas and tragedies and losses that I've had in life, one thing that I've learned about it is that it, it does have to be done. There are things that I didn't grieve that I should have grieved 
when I was a young child and I stayed in this denial for so long that 25 years later, the Holy Spirit says, what you're dealing with right here, Dawn, in this frozen place of your emotions is because you have to be willing to grieve. And I had to go back into some of my trauma and be willing to grieve it again. So so I'm asking, I guess, how important is this process? We don't, we don't get to just skip over it, right? Grieving is necessary. No, we really don't. And we never know when it's going to happen. I tend to be the type of person who's really good in a crisis. And I keep my head, I stay calm. But after the crisis is over, I fall apart. And so my grief has a lot to do with that. I'm pretty good for the first week or so. And after that, I can, I can go downhill pretty fast. So I think it comes with knowing ourselves, but it also comes with being willing not to put any expectations on our grief or uh, allow anybody else to put expectations mm-hmm. on us. That's really interesting to me. Can you say more about that? What do you mean by expectations? Like what that friend was saying, like they expected you to look a certain way or do it a certain way? Absolutely. And I talked to somebody a few weeks ago who lost her her sister um, several years ago. And she and I were talking and she said, you know, I'm still grieving this. This is still something that I'm processing, but I'm having to not share that because everybody thinks I should have moved on by now. And I was able to assure her that her grief journey is legitimate the way it happens and that we just need to accept it and deal with it as we, as it comes and not feel like we should be doing something differently. That's really affirming. I appreciate how you say that, that her grief experience is legitimate. And I think that's very true that we've had some friends who, who lost a, a, a pregnancy and, and that grief is real. And they say, well, if you, if, if you're, you should only have to grieve a pregnancy loss this long. And if it's a death of a child, then you get to do, it can be this long. If it's the death of a spouse and it can be this long. I mean, who gets to say, doesn't each individual feel how long their grieving process takes? Absolutely. And, and I think we need to do that. One of the things that I learned in writing this book what, or was reminded of in writing this book was the fact that everybody grieves differently. And it's really kind of funny because this book came about um, in 2018. That's when I signed the contract for this series of books. And my publisher and I brainstormed the titles and set the release dates for the titles. And the release date for Soul Care When You're Grieving was supposed to be um, the end of the year last year. Okay. So the book was due right before my daughter-in-law passed away, mm-hmm. or actually right after my daughter-in-law passed away. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was no way I could do a, a launch of a book on grief in the midst of that kind of emotional storm. So I called my publisher and said, I can't do this. And she said, of course you can't do this. Uh, nobody expects you to. And so, but the thing of it was, is the year before my daughter-in-law passed away, I was studying grief 
And so I came into it more equipped than I realized. I was able to accept different family members' grief processes, I think, better than I would have if I hadn't had that reminder. That's really powerful. Is that something that you talk about in your book? You're, you're referring to soul care and the series that you've done, and this is soul care for the grieving, soul care when you're grieving. Is it now out, by the way? It will be out on November 2nd. So it comes out next Tuesday. Perfect. November 2nd. Congratulations on that. But um, yes, so you learned so much about this grieving process by doing the research. That timing is incredible. Um, Tell us more about what got you into writing these books. Well, in 2014, my dad was at the end of his battle with Alzheimer's. And my sister and I were supporting my mother as she was the primary caregiver for him. And so by the time he had passed, we were all exhausted. Actually, before he passed, we were all exhausted. And I found myself just at the end of my rope one day. And I needed, I knew I needed more of God. But between caregiving and my other responsibilities, there was no way I could get into an in-depth Bible study. I was so exhausted at night. My prayer time generally ended with me falling asleep rather than saying amen. And I, I was out of time. It was just a season where I didn't have that, those chunks of time to dig deep. And I basically cried out to God and said, I need you, but I don't know how to do this. And he showed me that he can work as powerfully in those bits and pieces of time if we turn them over to him and we focus on him as if we had these huge chunks of time for Bible study. And since I I am a creative and I love creativity, he showed me how to do that through creativity. So I began carrying a little notepad in my purse and I would doodle different Bible verses or even just word, or I would go outside and I would, I remember one day being at the nursing center and stepping outside and looking up at the clouds and just feeling like God was saying, there's more to this journey than what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. I have a different perspective and you're going to be fine. So Mm -hmm. out of that, came this idea of these books that were for a a stressful season. So the first one was Soul Care When You're Weary, Mm -hmm. and it's geared a lot towards uh, caregivers and people in just a situation where you're weary beyond belief. And it has five, they all have five short chapters. Each chapter has five devotions, five prayers, and five creative exercises. Mm. And so there is something that you can do in those in-between moments. And I found utilizing those creative moments during my own grief process really helped me, helped me see what was going on on around me and stay connected with God. Mm-hmm. So you actually use creativity in a therapeutic way to really help you 
process your grief. And, you know, I think that when we use the creative side of our brain too, that we do open up both sides of the brain, right? And so we can actually process trauma. I know artwork and creative pieces are very valuable in in healing work and and recovery from trauma. So I imagine that that creativity is helping you through that grief in the same way. So you're including those things in this book series. What are some of the things that are in the grief series? Do you re- Well, one of the connections that, that I actually did and found very helpful, when you're in a season of grief, you feel very out of control. Like life is never going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And like you can't, you can't manage life. Things blindside you. So what I did is I... I cut up a piece of paper and I wrote, I cut it into small pieces and on each piece I wrote either right or left. And I put those in a little pouch and I started out for a walk in my neighborhood. And at every corner I would pull out and it either said right or left. That's the way I would go. And so I basically let an out of control situation dictate my path. And then when I came back, I journaled and prayed and asked God what he had to show me through that exercise. And it really showed me that even though I don't know whether the next crossroad is going to have me going this way or that way, God knows. And he has my path already marked out and he has those blessings and the things that I need already there when I get there. That's incredibly helpful. And you're offering those exercises or those creative things for other people who are reading, because I'm wondering what if you didn't do the work of grief? Can we get stuck in grief? Is there a season where maybe we need to be moved from that place? I, I that would be be a a question for a more professional counselor than me. I can imagine that it would be. I I know that there were several times I felt stuck when my best friend passed away. And I actually sought professional counseling to help me be able to move past the kind of intense anger that I was feeling. Um, One of the things that some amazing people in our church did is they worked with our church after my daughter-in-law passed away and they set up a fund um, full for us to use specifically for counseling for the family because she passed away in a very traumatic way and, and um, we were there. And so it had to be some trauma counseling was what the people who were near her needed. And um the, the fund that they set up was specifically earmarked for counseling. The money couldn't be used for anything else. And so they were able to ensure that we would get the counseling that we need so that we could process and move on. I'm glad you said that. And for anyone who's listening that might find themselves in a place of some pretty traumatic or heavy grief, or even just grief to you, however it feels to you, don't go it alone, right? Maybe your grief is something that you're going to need professional help or someone who will walk that valley with you. You feel like you're in the the valley of the shadow of death. Don't go it alone. Let people come around you, get professional counseling because 
there may be something that you need an individual to help you work through. So, um, boy, I'm, again, just so sorry to hear of the things that you've experienced. And so you wrote this book, this book on grief. And how did this help you in your own grieving process? Did you find some value for your own your own sense of grief while you were writing this? I mean, you kind of already shared that, but tell us a little bit more about the writing really process. Um, the, the writing process was, was excellent because I was able to go back and look with a different perspective on what my grief process had been in those other two experiences. Mm-hmm. And I was able to recognize some of the things that God had done and some of the things that I had done right and some of the things that I could do better in the future. And so that really helped a lot. And one of the things that that really helped me with my daughter-in-law's um, passing was the fact that I knew I shouldn't be afraid of joy when it came. Mm-hmm. I think one of the hardest parts of grief for me is when the enjoyment of life begins to break through because I immediately, my first response is to feel guilty. Like somehow experiencing joy is a betrayal of the loss that I was, that I had been through. And so I knew to be on the watch for that. And I immediately recognized that that guilt was from the enemy and it was false and that God did still have joy and beauty that he wanted me to experience. Now, the fact is that um, he has introduced us to a new rhythm of life without my daughter-in-law. It's not one that we would have chosen, but it is still filled with beauty and it's filled with joy every day. And there's no reason to feel guilty about experiencing that. You know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about our own family Last year, my nephew, who was 34, I believe, was also tragically killed. And my sister's been going through the grief process. And that was something that she talked about, that you feel guilty for those moments where the joy of life is breaking through. And then you recognize that your loved one would want you to be joyful they want you to live on. They, they want you to know, especially, you know, if they're believers and you know that that's the beauty of heaven as Christian women, we can rejoice in saying my child or my nephew was a believer and there's going to be a reuniting in heaven. That would be difficult if I did not know about their security and their, their salvation, but joy, the joy of life, regardless, does start to break through. And I'm hearing you say, that's okay. Give yourself permission to welcome the joy and embrace it and live it. Because you know what? Maybe tomorrow you might struggle again. It, it's still just because joy breaks through doesn't mean, you know, it's just always up. It could look like this for a while, right? Absolutely. Sometimes it looks like, you know, this, <laughs> it's, it, it can be a lot of mess and that's okay too. Yes. So it is a journey for sure. And again, everybody's journey looks different and it can last longer. It can be shorter. And 
And let's talk about the person just for a moment. Again, you said grief can look differently on others. And there are some who their grieving process is just short. You know, I've seen um, friends who would expect that a parent would grieve longer at the at the passing of their spouse. And sometimes there's a sense of peace that comes too, because you know that the, the like I said, if some if there was a long illness or there was something else, you, there's a sense that you're, you feel guilty because you're relieved or you're maybe glad that it's over. So sometimes grief, it's, it can, it's there and it's real, but maybe it's different because it's a different relationship. Absolutely. It, I think it just goes back to the fact that we all grieve differently and we all grieve each situation differently. I know with my dad's battle with Alzheimer's, we were grieving through that battle because we knew what was coming, but that would be my sister and I, but my mother, even though she did some grieving when he was gone, hers was a, hers was a, a very natural length of time. It was a long time before she got past that because, you know, she had lost her, her husband of 54 years. So you know, it, and both ways are, are fine. There's nothing wrong with either way. We Mm -hmm. just have to be respectful of each other Mm -hmm. in the process. Yes. Amen. And I, you know, I have one more question and then I want to just switch our conversation just for a little bit, but for those that might be grieving right now and they feel more anger, maybe you're helping them understand that what they're experiencing is grief. It is sadness. It is question. And maybe someone is angry with God. They say, God, you could have stopped this. You could have done something. Why did you allow this? Is anger with God part of grief at times? Uh, It definitely was with me. When my daughter-in-law passed away, we had the opportunity to pray that she would be healed, that he would, that he would bring her back to us. And, and we prayed fervently about that. And I felt, I felt very angry with God when he didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I the only way I got through that was pay, was by taking that anger to him. I spent some, some long conversations, basically yelling at him. And, um, you know, it, I felt bad about it, but he knew how I felt anyway. I wasn't hiding it from him. And so I asked some very hard questions. I asked him, how I could trust him when I prayed for my family, if this was the way he answered those prayers. And he was able to take my anger and my mistrust and just absorb it and return it with love and with assurance. And I didn't hear any audible voices, but he brought Bible verses to mind. He brought situations to mind. He bought, brought, possibilities of why things had turned out the way they were. I didn't get any definitive answers, but, but he answered my questions in my soul. And I think if I hadn't been willing to, to basically wrestle it out with him, 
I might still be in that place of mistrust and doubt instead of a stronger faith. Mm, That's deep. That is really, really deep. And that is really from the heart. It brings tears to my eyes when, when I think about what you've walked through and those that are listening that might totally relate to you. They've walked through it. I think of my sister and I think about that anger with God and he, and he can handle it. I'm hearing you say, Hey, he can handle it. And, and so let your anger uh, friends, let your anger bring you to God, even though he's the one you might be angry at instead of rejecting him and running away. Although you may do that for a season too. ultimately bring that anger back to God. He can handle it. And, um, we see through a glass dimly right now. We don't understand everything the way God does, but to have that trust in God restored to you is a gift. It's huge because I know many people struggle for a very long time trusting again after that. So that's a mark of healing. And that's part of joy being returned to you too, is to restore that relationship with God. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's a deep place. And um, we will continue to lift up your family in prayer. Hey, everybody that's listening right now, just shout out a prayer for Edie and her family. Thank you for that. Edie, when at the top of the program, we said you are someone who has learned to live with the contradiction of being an organized creative (laughs) That is a contradiction. And um, tell us about your photography. Uh, I love taking pictures, as you well know. And I just got back from speaking at the Florida Christian Writers Conference. I was talking about soul care. And one of the joys I had every morning was going out with my camera and capturing the sunrise. And one of the things that God does is as I take pictures He whispers spiritual truth into my mind. And I shared a picture one day. It was it was a perfect sunrise. You had two trees with the moss and the lake was here and the sun was rising right in the center and all the I mean, it just looked like the most peaceful, beautiful picture you could ever see. And but what you didn't see was the fact that we were absolutely almost carried away with mosquitoes. I mean, it was so hard to take that picture because as I was clicking, I could see the mosquitoes biting on my hands and biting me. And so it was, it was chaos. And what God spoke to me was that we shouldn't judge a situation or where a person is from the outside, because Mm -hmm. we don't know the kinds of battles that they are facing or what they went through to get to that particular situation. He just really reminded me that we need to treat everyone we meet with kindness and gentleness because we Mm -hmm. don't know what is going on behind the scenes. And Mm -hmm. so God just really uses what I see through the camera lens to speak to my soul and remind me of these truths that he's teaching me. That's like parables, getting lessons from God through nature and oh, mosquitoes. I think I, yes. that might be one question when I get to heaven, like, why did you create those mosquitoes? I see no good for, for 
Tell us about your book, Unruffled. I couldn't help but think about that as you're talking about, uh, it's called Unruffled, Thriving in the Chaos. And that sounds like what you're talking a little bit about, you know, here's this beautiful picture and yet there's chaos uh, simultaneously. Absolutely. And that is actually co-authored with Rhonda Ray, who is a very good friend of both of ours. Uh, And we were at a conference one time and we were talking about the fact that that being busy is not always a sin, that sometimes God calls us into seasons of busyness and chaos. And just like Jesus Mm. walked into chaos and brought peace with him, because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the same ability. So just because we're in the midst of chaos, that does not preclude us from being used by God to bring peace to that situation. And so that's that's basically what the book is about. And we use um, the metaphor of birds and feathers and being unruffled as opposed to having all these ruffled feathers from situations we face. Oh, that's good. That's very good. And in many ways, that brings us full circle because certainly you might not be someone who's going through grief, my friend, but you may be somebody who can be that person in the midst of someone else's grief that walks in, speaks peace, brings some care to their soul. You could be like that healing balm. And so I appreciate your words, you know, as that, even as you were describing that picture, we never know what might be going on in someone's life, but God knows And he might whisper to us to be someone that can be used in their season, in their time. What would you say to someone listening right now who maybe is in this season of grief? I would say that um, you should be gentle with yourself, that um, you should look up and focus on God. Um, One of the things that helped me more than anything was to stay in the word every single day. I started every day during my grief journey. And since then reading three to five chapters of the Bible every day. And it really was, was the one thing that gave me strength to go on. And I also think it's important to do grief your way Mm. and to not be afraid of the joy, but also don't Don't prejudge whether or not a situation is worthy of grieving. We have been through a really horrific past 16, 18 months with the pandemic. We sure have. Our entire way of life has changed. Mm -hmm. And for some people, maybe you haven't lost a loved one, but you've lost a job situation or or any number of things. And so I think that, that it is perfectly legitimate to go through a definite grieving period for situations, um, for pets, for all kinds of things. Maybe you have a lost relationship that you're grieving. All of these things are worthy of mourning. And I don't think you should prejudge, oh, that's not, I'm being stupid. I shouldn't feel that way. Feelings aren't good or bad. It's what we do with them. And we should take them to God. That's so wise. And I appreciate that. You are so right. There are so many losses that we're experiencing right now. And we can honor ourselves by allowing ourselves to 
explore those losses and grieve those losses so we can come into acceptance. The book is called Soul Care for the Grieving. When you're grieving. Soul Care when you're grieving. And how can someone find you, Edie? How can they get a hold of your book? Well, the book will be out November 2nd. So by the time you hear this, the book will be out, y'all. And And you can reach me at ediemelson.com and uh, anywhere on social media as Edie Melson. I happen to be the only Edie Melson on the internet. So I am very blessed. Wow. That is a blessing because that's one D E D I E Melson. And then this will all be in the show notes for you, but you also have a blog called the right conversation.blogspot.com. And that would be for all of those writers out there. Take a look at that. Thank you so much for being with us today, Edie. We appreciate you and your story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Great. And for all of you who are listening, you modern day Esters, I have a question for you. Is this your moment to arise? I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And hey, if you've not done so yet, why don't you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss another episode. Or you can visit us at AriseEster.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the movement. Visit us today to get connected. For more information about me, Dawn Damon, visit DawnDamon.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for a free breakthrough strategy session. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.